Like, yeah. Upset, so that means stop Right. So if a parent says to his child, which obviously your parents would never have done that, right? But I mean, <laughs> hypothetically, there are some parents who might say, fine, just do whatever you want. And then basically face the consequences of your bad decisions. And so what's going on is as people are rejecting God and hardening their hearts against him, rather than softening their hearts, he lets them go and lets them to continue hardening their hearts. But when they harden their hearts and God purposely lets them do that, then it can be said that God is the one who's doing it, right? It's just seen even more clearly in chapter 11, verses 7 through 8. Chapter 11, verses 7 through 8. Romans, sorry, Romans 11, 7 through 8. So the context of this is that Paul is explaining that God has not forsaken his people, because there are Jewish people who have believed in Jesus Christ. Amen. Not all of them did, but God preserved a remnant of Jews in this time, and in that way he has been continuing to be faithful to his promises to Israel, is the idea that he's arguing here in Romans 11. So in verse 5 of Romans 11, he says, At the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And then he says in verse 7, What then? In other words, what should we conclude about this whole mass rejection of Israel of their Messiah? What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Well, what was Israel trying to obtain? They were trying to obtain righteousness according to obedience to the law. We see that, for example, in chapter 9, verse 30. Chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. So the Jewish people, what they were trying to do was they were trying to make their way into heaven or to attain a personal righteousness by obedience to the law. And in fact, they thought that they could. So a couple examples. When Paul is describing all of his benefits of Judaism, he says, as to the law, as to, the, as to righteousness, he says, I was blameless. Now, he's speaking kind of as a fool, right? He's, he's saying he's blameless, as if he actually could be. Uh, also, when, when Jesus is confronted by, I think it's the lawyer, uh, he says, do these laws. And the man says audaciously, these things I have kept from my youth. So he genuinely thought that he had kept the law of God. This was the rich young ruler, I think. And then God, Jesus tells him, um, go sell everything you have and follow me. And that revealed his true heart, right? It, it revealed that he hadn't actually been obeying God's law and he was unwilling to, okay? So they did not, back to verse 7 of Romans 11, they failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. The elect here would be the remnant in verse 5. There was a particular group of people, of the Jews, who believed in the Messiah. We see them like the first church was Jewish Christians, right? It, established, it was established at Pentecost. Uh, I'm sorry. This, this group of believers in Jerusalem was established at Pentecost, and they were Jewish. 
So there is this remnant, those who believed in the Messiah. The elect obtained righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ, but the rest were what? They were hardened. And notice that that verb is, it's, it's passive. What that means is they didn't harden themselves. It says that they were hardened. Something else or someone else hardened the rest. And verse 8 spells it out for us, who it was that hardened them. As it is written, then he quotes Isaiah 29, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Now, God may and does use means like just letting people continue on in their hardness or allowing Satan to go in and tempt. But the, but the credit is being given to God himself here. God gave them. God gave Jerusalem. God gave Israel a spirit of stupor. He made it as if they were sleepy. They, they were not awake. Eyes that would not see. God gave them eyes that would not see. God gave them ears that would not hear down to this very day. And Paul applies that prophecy in Isaiah to the mass rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. And the credit, again, is given to God. Now, again, it wasn't because they didn't deserve it. It was actually because they deserved it. It was because they were in their sin and seeking to find righteousness in themselves rather than fleeing to the promised Messiah. Okay? So God judges sinners by blinding and hardening them. And remember, it's, it's because they deserve it. It's not because just randomly. It's because they deserve it. And applying this, again, this is difficult for us to, to swallow. But the reality is nobody deserves grace. That is the definition of grace. It's undeserved merit. So we sometimes feel like God should give everybody an equal chance. But why is that not necessarily the case? Yeah. You don't want fairness, you want justice? Right. Yeah, so if I could summarize in a nutshell, if you want fair, fair would be everyone gets hardened. Fair would be everybody gets judged for their sin. But that's not what we want, right? I mean, what we have instead is we've seen God's justice. The place where justice and mercy meet was the cross of Jesus Christ. We're on the cross. Christ died for the sins of sinners like you and me so that all who believe in him will not face the penalty that they deserved, but instead be forgiven and given eternal life. Fair would be nobody gets that, right? We think, I don't know, I don't know if it's just because we live in an entitled kind of world or generation. We think everybody deserves everything. Everybody deserves everything. But the reality is that if God just let everyone harden themselves to the point of destruction, would he be just in doing so? Why would he be just in allowing everybody to do that? Yeah, Cedric. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is, you're saying it's tied to God's character. He said in the beginning, if you sin, you will surely die. And then this is, this happens over and over again. Like Israel's given the law. If you do this, you're going to be, if you don't obey me, you're going to be destroyed, right? Anita, what were you saying? Um, I said that we all fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, we, that's right. We all have sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. So every single one of us, deserves what is being described here. We sin against God, and so rather than softening our hearts in grace, he could very well in justice have allowed us to continue in sin and just to our own self-destruction, right? So we need, to, we need to be thinking about this rightly. None of us deserves anything besides this. So the fact that he gives us something else is an amazing act of grace, yeah. Right. It wasn't just that we sinned against him. According to scripture, it was that we actually actively hated him. Mm-hmm. So Great point. We were, we were enemies against him. Right. When he saved us, is what the Bible says. So for that reason, we don't deserve anything good from a, the person that we hated so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Pastor Corey said that in Colossians, it says that we were hostile towards God. So one of the things that, you know, I've wrestled with in the past, I'm sure you have as well. What about that tribesman who never hears about Jesus? That tribesman is not innocent. He's not out there saying, I want to worship God, but I don't know how. He's worshiping the gods of his own creation, sinning against the God who actually created all things. Therefore, just like us, that tribesman deserves God's wrath. He deserves to be hardened and blinded by God. And that was, that was us as well. And we'll get back to that in a moment. So God judges sinners by blinding and hardening them. By the way, this does not mean that we shouldn't pray. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't share the gospel. But you know what? I'm getting ahead of myself. So just put a pin on that, and we'll get back to that towards the end. The second thing is, we see that he does this by withholding grace. Withholding grace. We see this in paragraph 6, right under here. The quote says, From them... He not only withholds his grace, whereby they might have been enlightened in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts. Then we'll see what else he does. But for right now, we'll just focus on the fact that God withholds his grace. Again, we might at first blink, it may sound like that's not fair. Why would God withhold his grace? But we misunderstand grace. Grace is undeserved. He could withhold it from everybody and still be just. Grace is a gift. And so from these, what the confession calls wicked and ungodly men, he withholds his grace. If they had that grace, they may have been enlightened in their understanding. Their hearts may have been changed if God gave them that grace. But in his righteous justice, he chose not to. Now, does he do that? Does the Bible teach that God does that? We already saw some of it in Romans 1, in Romans 11. But let's also take a look at Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. So here what we're seeing is, the whole book of Deuteronomy, just in context, 
is God's reestablishing his covenant. He's reiterating the covenant that he made in Exodus. But he's now having it reiterated by Moses to the next generation of Israelites because the first generation lost the right to go into the promised land. So it's been handed down to the next generation. The law is reiterated throughout Deuteronomy. And in chapter 29, the covenant is being renewed via the mediator of that covenant, Moses. And then we see in verse 2 leading up to it, Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, and those great wonders. So this second generation may, have, may or may not have actually seen it themselves. These are the kids, remember. So uh, maybe some of them were born and saw all the wonders done in Egypt. But the point is that as a collective, Israel had seen what God had accomplished in Egypt and in the wilderness. They'd seen all of that. They saw the ten plagues that God did to Pharaoh. They saw how God spared their firstborn children with the blood of the lamb on their doors. They saw how God had fed them with manna every day, caused water to pour forth from a rock, delivered them from their enemies in the wilderness. They saw that. But in verse 4, sadly, we see, but to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. That's actually very interesting that Moses would put it that way. He could have just said, but to this day, you don't have a heart to understand. Hmm. To this day, you still don't have eyes to see, you don't have ears to hear. So this is a rebuke against them that they still don't worship Yahweh who did all of this for them. They should have. They had all the external evidences of God's might and graciousness towards them. But to this day, they still didn't have a heart to understand. They didn't have eyes to see. They didn't have ears to hear. And by the way, this was their responsibility. Don't, he, don't read this and be like, well, if God doesn't give it to me, then I guess I just don't have it. We have a responsibility. So in chapter 30, for example, verse 11. Chapter 30, verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. So he's saying that they actually could, at least externally, obey God's law. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and its rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over the Jordan to enter and possess. So what we're seeing here is God is saying, this law I expect you to do. And if you do it, then you will flourish. You will stay in the land that I'm giving you. So there is no concept that, oh, they, they couldn't have done it or God didn't expect them to do it. But back in our chapter, verse chapter 29, 
what it is very clearly saying is that it would, it would be God's grace on them if they did have the heart. That, that if they had the heart to understand, or eyes to see, or ears to hear, it would have been because God would have given it to them. But again, that does not remove their responsibility. Okay? The fact is that they didn't have it because God withheld that grace from them. That's the point that's being made here. But he didn't, he didn't withhold all grace from them. What are the many graces and mercies that God had given to Israel that should have made them turn to him and be faithful? List some. Yeah, Emmy. He sent prophets to them over and over again. Yeah, they're, they're stuck. Egypt's army is bearing down on them. He splits a sea for them to walk through. Right? What else did he do? Manna. Manna? Manna. Yeah. They're hungry in the wilderness. There's, there's no regular food source for two million people in the wilderness. There's just a food source coming from heaven every day. Well, six days of the week, twice on Saturday. Yes. What's that? I said manna. Manna, that's right. Water, deliverance from their enemies a sacrificial system to allow for atonement of their sin and right fellowship with him? Yeah. Yeah, so in Romans 9, Paul lists all the benefits that Israel had. They had the covenants. They had the promise of the Messiah. They had adoption as children. They had all of these things. They had temple worship, right? So even if God did not go in there and rot it upon their heart, they had everything that they should have. That it was plenty. It was enough that it should have turned their hearts to him. And what we're seeing is, well, first of all, the first generation rebelled against him and were not allowed into the promised land. The second generation is not faring much better, is the point that's being made here. You still don't have a heart to understand. You still don't have eyes to see. You still don't have ears to hear. But Moses acknowledges that the Lord had not given that to them. Okay? The reason why that's so critical is because that wasn't a promise of the old covenant. It's a promise for the new covenant. Does this make sense? In the old covenant community, they had the law. They had all of these amazing graces and mercies of God. But God did not give everyone in that community a new heart. The promise that's given for the new covenant that you and I are in in Christ is that every single one of us who believe in Christ has that new heart that they didn't have. They didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. So for God to withhold that from them is perfectly just and righteous for him to do so because they don't even, they weren't asking for it. They weren't asking God, please give us a new heart. They wanted to do what they wanted to do and they continued to rebel against God. So God, again, he does this, he accomplishes his purposes by withholding grace from people. And I just want to make sure that this is clear in everyone's mind. So I want to ask you, why is it fair, why is it just for God to withhold grace from people? Because he's God, amen. So he has the right to decide that. Why else? That's what they deserve, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Michael. I've done nothing to earn it. Yeah. Um, Michael has done nothing to earn it. I've done nothing to earn it. None of y'all have done anything to earn God's favor. And actually, if you did, then it wasn't grace. It was actually just payment. You did the right thing, so God blessed you. That's payment. 
Yeah, let's go John and then. Yeah. The potter has the right over the clay. Yeah, the potter has the right over the clay. Because actually, Paul answers this very um, objection in Romans 9. Who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Yeah, uh, Daniel, yes. Whether, um, whether God hardens the heart or gives grace, the payment of sin is still being paid. Wait, say that again, I'm sorry. So either whether God gives grace or he hardens the heart, the payment for, the sin. Payment for sin still gets paid. Okay, so whether he um, softens the heart or he hardens the heart, whether he gives grace or gives justice, sin is still being paid for right. or has been paid for. It either will be paid for or it has been paid for. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Good. So God in his justice does, does not just sweep sin under the rug. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for sinners. So either a person's sin was on him and was paid for, and that's everyone who believes in him, or they will pay for it in the end. Again, I'm not, we're not saying this like, yeah, get him. That's not what we want for us. That's not love. Love is wanting for others what we would want for ourselves, right? But the reality is God is just. So either sin will be paid for in the end or it was paid for on the cross of Christ. But again, when we talk about grace, grace is completely undeserved. If you start thinking in your mind that God should give grace to everyone, you have misunderstood grace. Grace is undeserved. If anyone deserves it just by virtue of who they are or what they've done, it's not grace. It's just payment. And that's not how God operates. So, God judges sinners by blinding and hardening them. He does this by withholding his grace. Here's the application, first of all, to the unbeliever. So if you're sitting here tonight and you, you, you have not trusted in Jesus Christ, you have not been made right with God, and you're starting to feel a certain weight on you, repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. We don't want anyone walking away from this saying, I want God, I want this Jesus who they're talking about, I want to be forgiven of my sins and spend eternity with God, but I can't because I'm not elect. Don't think that way. The Bible does not speak that way. The Bible says that if you seek Jesus, you will find him. There is no one in existence who really wants to be with God, who really wants their sins forgiven in Christ, who will not get it. That person doesn't exist. God is not standing in heaven while everyone's trying to clamor to get to him and saying, you, you, but not you. On the contrary, everyone was running away from him. Everyone was wanting their hearts hardened. And in grace, he reaches out to save his people. So if that's you, and you're saying, I want this, repent and believe. And then once you've believed, then you will look back and you will say, God did it all. God did it all. I had nothing to do with that. God did it all. But for right now, repent and trust in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer already, understand this is what you deserved. You deserved because you'd sinned against God because you'd exchanged the truth about him for a lie. You deserve to be blinded and hardened. But if you believe in Jesus, he did not do that to you. God did not do that to you who believe. In the moment that you heard the gospel, the Spirit woke you up and you believed. 
and your heart of stone has been removed, and you've been given a heart of flesh, and you have now the law written on your heart, praise God that he did not do this to you. This is what we deserved. And the more we realize that, the more we realize that we actually not only didn't deserve to be forgiven, but we actually deserve to be hardened and judged. That should change the way that we live. That should help us to respond in gratitude and worship for what amazing grace God has done for us. If we had something to do with it, then God kind of owes us a little bit, but we didn't. We had nothing to do with it. And then, I kind of hinted at this earlier, an application for us as well. We need to, we need to pray and we need to share the gospel. Well, how does, how does this work? Because it seems like what we're saying is that God's already made these decisions about who is going to be saved and who's not. So let me just punt that question to you. If God has already chosen whom he will have mercy and compassion on and whom he will harden, why pray for people's salvation? Because we don't know who is and who isn't. Yeah, to Christian's point, we don't know who those people are. We don't know who, who will be hardened and judged and who will be shown grace. Michael. God's not just sovereign over what happens, but how it happens. Yeah, Michael says, God is not just sovereign over what happens, but how it happens. This is the beauty of God's providence. God uses the prayers of his saints to accomplish his means. So uh, raise your hand if you had somebody praying for you before you were saved. Okay, many people. So Pastor Corey, who was praying for you? Uh, how long was your mother praying for you? Who knows? So for a long time, Pastor Corey's mom had been praying for him. It was God's decision to save Pastor Corey before eternity, or that's not even accurate to say. In eternity, from eternity, God decided to save Pastor Corey. He also decided that Pastor Corey's mom would pray for him to that end. So your prayers, they are meaningful. God delights in the prayers of his saints. Revelation describes them as incense in his throne room. They smell good to him. They want, he, he desires that we pray to him. And not only does he desire that we pray to him, but he actually uses our prayers to accomplish his purposes. So pray. Don't give up on praying. And share the gospel. It's the same reason. We don't know who is going to be saved and who's not. And so we share the gospel with everyone. We take it to the ends of the earth. We preach the gospel to our neighbors. We preach the gospel to the Indonesians. We preach the gospel to anyone that we can possibly reach because God has people everywhere that he is saving. And God can and does use the labors of his people to bring people to himself. So don't, don't take God's providence as something that should just cripple you and make you just not want to do anything. That's not how God's decree and providence works. He uses the actions of his people and even unbelievers to accomplish his purposes. What are some other ways you can think of that we can apply this concept of God's, uh, I forgot to give you this phrase, judicial hardening. What are some other ways that this applies to us? Yeah, so what we've been talking about, that God judges sinners by blinding and hardening them that he does this by withholding grace, how should that apply to us in our everyday lives? Sanctification. 
Yeah, so sanctification. Um, God withholds little bits of grace to... Like, it's not, he's, he's not withholding salvation. Right. He's Yeah, yeah. So God, God can withhold certain good things in your life to push you towards Christ. Yeah, we kind of touched on that a bit last week. God using our suffering and even our sin to bring us into closer fellowship with him and more Christ-likeness. Good. What else? No, I'm, that's a good question. Um, neither, I guess. <laughs> But so Leslie's question is, am I asking about God hardening us? He doesn't harden his people, right? Um, I guess what I'm saying is, why should this matter to us? How does it matter to us in a practical way, day to day? How should, how should what matter? The fact of that God judicially hardens sinners. Just one way or another, bringing him glory. Yeah, understanding that one way or another, it gives him glory. Michael and then Lori. Yeah. So Michael says it, it takes the pressure off of you because you're not the one who's doing the saving. You cannot convince someone on your own power into the kingdom of God. God needs to do that work. Lori and then Seti. So I would say uh, it puts pressure on you. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way because if you don't know who is going to be saved, right, then you it should give you the if you believe it to be true. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So, like, even I was talking with um, Corey and Catherine Latimer about um, Jehovah Witnesses coming to my house, and he gave me some good advice. He's like, at some point, just give them the gospel. Like, don't go back and forth with them. Just give them the gospel because that's what they need. So, mm-hmm. if I'm believing that God is going to punish all sin that um, because He is just, then I will do that. Mm-hmm. Right. So to Lori's answer is essentially this should create an urgency in us to go share the gospel with people. Because if it's the reality that people's sin is earning them more hardening of their heart, then we, we should step in and share with them the answer to that sin problem. Steady. Yeah, it should cause us to praise him, right? Yeah. Because he could have left us to our own sinfulness and left us alone, but he didn't. Pastor Corey. And you should do all that you can to train your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Because according to everything we see tonight, is hardening of the heart and the response to all of the sin we've been doing. So you should be doing all that you can to keep your children away from sin. Amen. Yes, Pastor Corey said, you know, train your children and you nurture an admonition of the Lord. Don't let, don't you, don't you be the one to leave them to their sin. Correct them. Tell them what God's law says, because God uses his law and the gospel to save people, right? Amen. All right. Did you have, I'm sorry, you have nothing, something else? I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I thought you were going to say something. Yeah, praise God. And I think, again. Praise God, I'm not saying anything. Uh, 
We can delete that, right? We can strike that from the record. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Like the main thing I think to walk away with is this gratitude that you're talking about. Praise to God because that's what we deserve. Romans 1 isn't simply talking about the reprobate. That was all of us before Christ saved us. We rejected God, exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and before Christ saved us, we were just being more and more hardened. So praise God that he stepped in, gave us faith to believe in Jesus Christ, and now we've been forgiven of our sins. Let me thank God. <clears throat> Father, again, we don't take this lightly. Um, the fact that you judge sinners should all the more encourage and embolden us to go and preach the gospel boldly to all men. Lord, the times of ignorance you have overlooked, but now you command all people everywhere to repent. And we pray that even now, that as the gospel is preached tonight, that you would enliven and quicken and you would save sinners, O oh Lord, just like you have shown us great mercy. Help us to respond on a practical day-to-day -day basis, understanding that you didn't leave us to this, but, but you showed your love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were running away from you and hating you and being hostile towards you, it was in that situation that you gave your only son to die for us. Help us to respond, O oh Lord, with gratitude and praise. Help us to respond in obedience and help us to make disciples of all nations. Do this all for the praise of your holy name. In Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah, essentially he um, is wanting to preserve free will and that's why I'm saved but my little brother is not. Yeah, I mean, most people don't say, okay, so Pastor Corey's question is, if I believed in my little brother didn't, then wouldn't that imply that there was something in me that made me believe? And people usually don't say that, but that you have to say that. Like, if I believed and my little brother didn't, maybe it's because I was less rebellious than him. Maybe it was because I was more spiritually attuned than him. Maybe I was more humble than him. And if that's the case, I have some credit in this. And that's why Ephesians says that you've been saved, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If it had something to do with my character, then I kind of deserved it. Yeah, I actually deserve the gift, right? That's a good point. Yeah, Julie. Yeah, yeah. so uh, what Julian is quoting is in, in 1 Corinthians where Paul 
he goes into Corinth and he preaches a simple gospel of Christ and him crucified. This was an unpopular message. It was unpopular to the Jews because cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. So Paul's going around saying, my savior who was hung on a tree is the Messiah. So that's already a, no, a non-starter for people. For the Greeks, this person was crucified. That's the lowest, most abased form of punishment that was reserved either for the worst criminals who weren't Roman or Romans who were um, traitors. So you're saying your savior was crucified and yet people believed. That's, that's the point, right? Like he went in and preached this simple gospel. Some believed and it's, it's because God was waking people up. That's the point that's being made there. That's a good point. We are dismissed, by the way, so you can go or you can ask questions, but get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, Emmy. Yeah. So Emmy says from, from Titus 2.11, it says, 